So inshallah, today we'll finish the uh, chapter regarding the Fadl Qiyam al which we uh, continued last week. عن سيدنا عبد الله بن عمرو بن العاص رضي الله تعالى عنه عفوا عن عن جابر رضي الله عنه قال سئل رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أي الصلاة أفضل قال طول القنوت رواه مسلم والمراد بالقنوت القيام سيدنا جابر رضي الله عنه said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم was asked which of the prayers is best and he said the one in which there is long قنوت here the word qunut doesn't necessarily mean the dua that's said after, uh, uh, you know, after the second surah in the witr or after the second surah in the salat al-subh. But here qunut is uh, the linguistical meaning. Qunut means what? It means ta'a, obedience. It means sukut, quietness. Uh, uh, it means sukun, adam uh, al stillness. Uh, that a person should stand uh, in obedience in front of Allah Ta'ala for a long time. So there is a difference of opinion amongst the ulama as to what's better. Is it better to pray two rak'ahs that are longer or is it better to pray uh, uh, a number of rak'ahs in the same amount of time, a higher number of rak'ahs. And so this hadith would seem to indicate that it's the, the prayer that's longer. However, there are other hadiths that indicate otherwise as well. And uh, I think that the, the haqiqah is not just open and shut. The reality is that there's a different benefit in each of them. And the Prophet used to practice each of them. One, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-Asi radiallahu anhuma, anna Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqala, ahabu salati ila Allahi salatu dawuda, wa ahabu siyami ila Allahi siyamu dawuda, kana yanamu nisfa al-layli, wa yakumu thulufahu wa yanamu sudusahu, wa yasumu yawman wa yuftiru yawman. Muttafaqun alayhi. Sayyidina Abdullah bin Amr bin Asr radiallahu ta'ala anhuma says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said the most beloved of prayers uh, to Allah is the prayer of Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam. So there are a number of a hadith actually early on in Riyal al-Salihin in which uh, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam extolled the great virtues of Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam. And he really is a, a very special figure. Uh, from from the from even from the prophets before, uh, I've heard this from Christians before. They say if there's any figure who is uh, has a, a claim to being Christ-like uh, uh, after Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, it's Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam, and he had a number of beautiful habits uh, alayhi salam, uh, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentions uh, many of his habits. And I think that if someone were to say that Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam was Christ-like, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't register immediately like, like that with me. Inshallah. It wouldn't register with uh, it wouldn't register with me right away. But in many ways he was from the biblical prophets, the one who was very similar to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why? Because he combines between uh, a, a very spiritual life and also between the kingship in this world. Between kingship in this world, he didn't have just like fancy ideas, but then he lives in a cave somewhere, uh, and it doesn't work in the real world. Rather, he he was a man of great spiritual virtue, and at the same time, he ran the entire country in a way that uh, was beneficial. And so, this uh, combination between between temporal rule and between uh, the spiritual uh, uh, kingship, this is the manhaj of the 
of the Nabuwa of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and it's also Sayyidina Isa Alayhi Salam will also have it but at the end of his life not in the first part of his life uh, Alayhi Salam so Sayyidina uh, uh, Abdullah bin Amr bin Asr radiallahu anhu who used to spend great time with the Christians before before Islam uh, he became Muslim before his father did. He was one of the few people who was literate and he knew Syriac, he knew Hebrew. Uh, he read the Bible in its original uh, state before. Um, he mentions that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said that the, the, the most beloved of prayer to Allah is the, the prayer of Sayyidina Dawud and the most beloved of fasting is the fast of Dawud He used to pray for half of the night and then he used to uh, 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 sleep for uh, uh, sorry he used to pray for uh, he used to sleep for half of the night then he used to pray for a third of the night and then he used to rest for a sixth of the night so what is that right sit properly sit nice I'm glad that you guys are in there so he used to what he used to sleep for a third of the night so how many sixths is a third Two. two, yeah. Okay, so we're up to two. He used to, he, he, he used to, sorry, he used to sleep for half of the night. How many sixths is a half? Three. Three sixths. Okay, so, okay. So he used to sleep for three, and then he would pray for 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 two. So we're up to five. How many is, is left now? One. One, right? And then he would rest for the last six. And so this is what the Prophet sallallahu used to do as well. Uh, is that he would rest in the first half of the night, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, half or less and Sayyidina Dawud used to rest for the first half of the night how are you going to do that? you're only going to do that if you go straight home after Isha and sleep obviously it's uh, a longer night right now in, uh, in, the, in the winter but that's what the Prophet used to do is he, and what, the, what Sayyidina Dawud used to do is sleep for the first half and then he would wake up for, uh, for a third and then he would rest again for a sixth of the night and that rest in the sixth of the night is what? There's a number of benefits and wisdoms in it. One of the benefits is that a person has other, other worship that they do other than the Salat. If you only did one type of worship, then you would get bored of it. It's very natural that you would get bored of it. So he would do other types of worship, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the people, the Ummah also do other types of worship. So this is when many of the Mashaykh have seen that this is the time also that they they, they, do, they make the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, they'll read the Qur'an, they'll repeat the divine name, they'll say their other awrad that they say uh, by tongue, and it gives them a chance to rest until the Fajr time comes in. Another benefit of this uh, uh, taking rest in this last sixth of the night is what? Is that a person also spares themselves from showing off. Why? Because then they'll get up when everybody else gets up for Fajr. They'll get up when everybody else gets up for Fajr. From the, from the uh, noble example of our Mashaykh, uh, uh, there is the, uh, the, the two, Mawlana Sayyid Hussein Ahmed Madani rahimahullah ta'ala and Mawlana uh, uh, Shaykh al-Hind, Mahmoud al-Hassan uh, rahimahullah tabarak wa ta'ala wa qaddasallahu asarahum, that they were in India during the during the, uh, uh, the occupation of the British, during the usurpation of the Indian subcontinent by the British. And uh, they were people who resisted uh, the colonizer, and for that they were punished. 
and uh, eventually they get imprisoned in Malta. Malta is like an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. At some point or another, it, it was Muslim. Malta is the only country in all of the European Union that has a Semitic language as a first language. They essentially speak Arabic. Uh, they essentially speak Arabic. At some point or another, the Crusaders will take it over and force everybody to Christianity. But uh, it's very strange how the Maltese have no recollection, like culturally, of that. But they all speak Arabic. I sat on a plane once, and uh, I was in the emergency exit, and uh, uh, the, one of the stewardesses was from Malta, and I asked us, and I heard that like Maltese is very much like Arabic, and you know, airline stewardesses are not usually PhDs in linguistics, right? So she's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what Arabic is like, uh, so you know. I go, why don't you say something in Maltese and like, I'll see if I understand it or not. And she's like, okay. She's like, keep halak. I'm like, I'm like, kwees. She's like, oh my God, you know Maltese. I said, yeah, that's, that's not Maltese, that's Arabic. So apparently it's just Arabic. They write it, it's like a, a particular dialect of Arabic. They write it in the Latin script. And instead of saying shukran, they say grazie and they like count in Italian. That's basically it. Um, and so Malta is like, it's in the middle of nowhere basically. If you want to imprison somebody, a high-value prisoner, all the high-value prisoners of the British Empire were basically housed in Malta, or many of them I should say. Uh, like Australia was like also a penal colony at one time. And so what would happen, the Sheikh was an old man, he's imprisoned with his student, and so the student used to uh, uh, take a pot of water, obviously you don't have like water heaters in prison uh, back in the day, so he would take a pot of water for the sheikh to make wudu from. Like if you're really old and weak, like making wudu from cold water, you might die from it, you know? So he, what, what would he do is he would, uh, uh, he would take a pot of water and like huddle with it um, and go to sleep so that his body heat would warm the water up a little bit. And then he would wake up and, or he wouldn't sleep at night. And then he would uh, uh, pray his tahajjud in the middle of the night and then go back to sleep and put the, you know, so the water would be warm for the sheikh. Uh, in order for him to pray his small tahajjud in the last sixth of the night. Uh, and so this is a, a noble example of putting this in practice by uh, our mashayikh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, have mercy on them. By the way, uh, Yunus Bahai is still here, right? You ever, you ever heard of an Algerian sheikh by the name of uh, Abdul Hamid bin Badis? Yeah. If there's an Algerian here, they'll all know about him. He's basically, he's basically uh, from the ulama, the most famous figure who uh, uh, was in the resistance, Algerian resistance against the French uh, toward the end when they actually got their independence. You can ask any, any, uh, uh, any Algerian about Abdul Hamid bin Badis. Like he's like, he's like postage stamps and like stuff like that. He's a really famous person. So he's actually also a student of the same Mu'ana Hussein Ahmed Madani, rahimahullah ta'ala. He used to teach in Medina Munawara in the Ottoman times in the Masjid of the Prophet And he actually asked the Sheikh permission uh, he said that my lands have been overrun by the, by the, the Farinja and they've destroyed it and the people have lost their uh, culture and values and uh, stopped practicing Islam properly and uh, I don't want to go back to that fasad. so do I have permission just to stay here? And the Sheikh said no. He said you have to go back and you have to like remind them and wake them up and you know, uh, uh, encourage them to resist. And uh, he did that. He did that. Uh, so this is an interesting uhuwa between uh, the Muslims and the Sharq and the Gharb uh, uh, that I graduated from the Jamia Madaniya. It's named after Shaykh Hussain Ahmed Madani, Rahimullah Ta'ala. 
uh, and so that, that, that's an interesting tie between the East and the West. It's important to mention these things, although it's not necessarily directly part of what the Dars is, but uh, it reminds us that it's, it's one Ummah, it's one Ummah. The borders between us are all, they're fake, they're fake, they're as fake as the President's hair, they're fake. Um, so we continue. Uh, that uh, 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 Sayyidina Dawud used to wake up um, at, at the halfway point of the night and then he would pray for a third and then he would sleep in the last sixth and so that's what the Shaykh did too is that he would do that and then in the last sixth he would put the pot forward and then he would rest while the Shaykh would pray the little tahajjud he was able to uh, in his old age and weakness um, and then Sayyidina Dawud would do something else his fasting was what? that he would fast for one day and then he would not fast another day You'd fast for one day and you would not fast for another day. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, we have our medical people here so you can consult with them, you know, about this as well. But like if a person fasted every day, the body is remarkably good at adjusting to things. So one of the reasons diets don't work is that the body, if you severely restrict the caloric intake of the body, it will just start burning less calories. And oftentimes people will go on these diets and then their body will become accustomed to eating less calories. And then when they stop the diet, they'll eat as much as they used to before and they'll actually gain even more weight than they had from before. Um, and so now what do they do? They say, oh, you know, you have to like change it up. I've actually literally, uh, from, from uh, doctors, I've heard this before, that pe pe people who are uh, obesity patients, they, they have basically given up on other stuff and now they tell them just like, like fast every other day. I've actually heard this from a doctor before. Um, and, you know, obviously the only reason for fasting is not weight loss, but it is good for you. The fast is good for you. And one of the things is if you fast every other day, it throws the body off. It doesn't allow it to like get into one habit. But the, also the interesting thing about that is it's harder as well. Because if you're used to not eating every day, your body adjusts to it. And food is like, food is like the worst of drugs. It's even more the worse than heroin and it's worse than crack cocaine and it's worse than all these things in terms of addiction. In terms of addiction. That while you're like fasting Ramadan, like after the first couple of days, you kind of get used to it. And then like, Eat, it's hard to eat, you know, all of a sudden. Then after a couple of days, then you're, you're back to normal again. Like if you miss lunch, you'll have a bad mood. Why? Because the food is very addictive. And so this was uh, his mujahada, alayhi uh, salam. Uh, and it's actually harder than fasting every day, is that he would fast every other day. Uh, all these things are there to break the nafs, right? The body has certain cravings and desires. And it's like a child, like a baby, it will whine and scream for them. And the more accustomed you are to uh, struggling against your own nafs, the more broken it will be in front of you and the more it will obey you instead of you obeying it. You understand what I'm saying? Your body, if you obey your body all the time, the body's like, oh, I want ice cream, I want candy, I want to sleep, I want this. And it's like, hey, let's go to work. It's like, no, I want to sleep. Okay, you went to sleep, you don't have a job now. Uh, and so at the end of the month, you won't have a place to live. And it's not really fun, it's not easy to sleep on the pavement when it's like snowing, right? If you break the nafs, it will, it will be good for you and it will be good for the nafs. If the nafs breaks you, it will be bad for you and ultimately also, also it will be bad for the nafs. And so that's what the prophets were, Islam. they were people who had control over themselves rather than their own uh, 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 nafs and craving and desire having control over them. وعن جابر رضي الله عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن في الليل ساعة لا يوافقها رجل مسلم يسأل الله تعالى خيرا من أمر الدنيا أمر الدنيا والآخرة إلا أعطاه إياه وذلك كل ليلة رواه مسلم. 
Jabir radiallahu anhu, he uh, says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa I heard him say that indeed in the night there is a, 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 a portion of time. Here the word sa'ah oftentimes is translated as hour, but it doesn't necessarily mean like 60 hours on the clock because like, you know, the companions weren't like rolling around with like stopwatches. You know what I mean? Uh, this is like a later concept that we'll use the same word. The sa'ah is like a portion of time. That there's a portion of time in the night that uh, a Muslim man uh, doesn't stand uh, in order to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah most high, for something uh, from the affairs of his uh, dunya or from the affairs of his akhirah, from this world or from the hereafter, except for Allah will give him exactly what he asked for. And the Prophet says that this is not just like one night, this is every night. This portion of time is every night. If you look, the, look at the, the commentaries on this hadith, the commentaries indicate that this is a concept, like for example, today was Jum'ah, right? There's a, a, a time in Jum'ah as well, where a person, if they ask for something, their dua is answered. The commentators write that the, 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 the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ indicates that that, that sa'ah, that portion of time is dayyik, it's short. It's a very short amount of time. If you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you missed it. Whereas the uh, commentators say that the hadith of the Prophet if you look at the different riwayat with regards to the, the, the sa'ah in the night in which the, the prayers are answered, that sa'ah is, is uh, expansive. It's not just like a minute. If you catch it, you catch it. If you, if you don't, you don't. So the opinion of the ulama are what? That it's the, uh, the after the first third or after half or in the last third of the night. Meaning it's a great portion of the night. It's what? It's a great portion of the night. And some of the ulama say that, that really it's all of the second half. Because the last third is within the second half. Many of the opinions fit with, within it. And from the way the Prophet ﷺ talks about it, it's not, it's not like a short amount of time. And the funny thing is some of these things are so easy and they're so well known, but there's so few takers. Why? Because you have to struggle against yourself. Like during the day on Jummah, everyone's awake anyway. At least most people are. Whereas in the nighttime, it could be like literally like the last uh, half of the night, it could be like four, four and a half, five hours. But like those are the four hours that everybody wants to sleep. Uh, and so it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to catch except for the, for the one who uh, is accustomed to struggling against himself. وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا قام أحدكم من الليل فليفتتح الصلاة بركعتين خفيفتين رواه مسلم وعن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام من الليل افتتح صلاته بركعتين خفيفتين رواه مسلم So there are two hadith um, one narrated by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه and one narrated by Sayyidina عائشة رضي الله عنها about how a person should start their, uh, start their tahajjud prayer. And the, both of them say basically the same thing, which is that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, does anyone remember from uh, last, like two weeks ago, uh, we mentioned how many rak'ahs did he used to pray in his tahajjud Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Eight, yeah. He would pray eight, and then he would pray three rak'ahs of Buddha. Um, and so the, both Sayyidina Abu Hurairah and Sayyidina Aisha mentioned that even though his prayer was long, but the first two rak'ahs of those eight, he used to make them like lighter. Why? You kind of get the body moving, get a little bit of circulation moving. It's an act of worship as well, but it also wakes you from your, from your sleep and from your slumber. And there's a lot of things in the, the sunnah like that. Like even getting up for Fajr is not always easy, right? 
So what did the Prophet say? That there's three knots on the, on the person when they're sleeping uh, that shaitan has on them and, says, and blows on, on that person and says, there's, uh, you know, it's a long night, don't worry, you don't have to wake up. So how do you, how do you untie the knots? The first knot is untied by what? No, no, no. By what? Huh? No, man, you guys are just making stuff up now, man. If you know, then raise your hand and say, it's not the peanut gallery here, right? Yeah, taking the name of Allah. Taking the name of Allah. So it can be Bismillah, it can be Allahu Akbar, it can be La ilaha illallah, it can be A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, depending on what you're waking up from. It can be any number of things. Uh, uh, but uh, mention the name of Allah, the first knot gets untied. What's the second knot? Wudu, it's making wudu. And then the third knot is untied how? When saying Allah. Man, you just made, you just straight up made that up, didn't you? Yeah, go ahead. Not starting the slot. Praying two rakahs. Once you get through two rakahs, then the third knot is untied. Then what? Then the third knot is untied. And so, even if you don't wake up for tahajjud, at least a person prays their two, uh, their two uh, rakahs of, uh, of the, the sunnahs before fajr, the raghibah before fajr, then they're like in prime position for the salat al-fajr in order to benefit from it. In order to benefit from it. Everyone's like, well, it's fard, I'm just going to do the fard and go back to sleep. Okay, khalas, you did the work, you already woke up, you already prayed the two rakahs, you may as well benefit from them. That a person is free from, from being locked out uh, by shaitan, they're open in order to receive thee the benefits of the Salat al-Fajr. So at any rate, the, this hadith is what? Is that the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa would uh, uh, pray the first two rakahs and there would be light. And Allahu alam, maybe one of the reasons is what? Is that the, the purpose of those first two rakahs is to kind of unlock the, the, the... Obviously the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa isn't affected by the shaitan, but uh, to uh, get the body uh, also like in a position to uh, stand for that amount of time. And also for the ummah, uh, that we can also know that, that you can shake off the, uh, the effect of shaitan um, in order to uh, get the tahajjud in, in, in proper gear. When Umar ibn al-Khattabi radiallahu ta'ala anhu qala, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, man nama an hizbihi wa an shay'in minhu fa qara'ahu fima bayna salat al-fajr wa salat al-dhuhri kutiba لَهُ كَأَنَّمَا قَرَأَهُ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ رَوَاهُ مُسْلِمِ Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab he mentions that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said and it's really remarkable and it shows that the, you know, the companions were people of istiqamah they weren't people who just did something one time and that's it he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Whoever uh, sleeps through his uh, regular practice of praying tahajjud or, uh, or a dhikr that he does in the night uh, or a part of it. So you may sleep through the whole thing or you may wake up so late that you're not able to read as much as you were able to read from before. So a person reads like, you know, four juz of, uh, of Qur'an and tahajjud and he wakes up 15 minutes before the adhan of fajr. Obviously he's not going to be able to complete uh, complete what he reads, even though he may get the rakahs in. Uh, that person, uh, let them read uh, uh, what they missed between Fajr and between Zuhr. 
Let them read it between Fajr and between Dhuhr. Um, and if they do, it will be uh, written for them a reward just as if they had prayed it during the night. Meaning what? Meaning a couple of things. One is that a person has a hizb. They have a regular practice of something that they do in the night. The second thing is what? Is that whatever you miss, you don't like abandon it. Rather, the Prophet ﷺ used to treat his, uh, his extra practices as if they were farther. And he encouraged the companions to treat the extra practices as if they are farther. If you hold on to them, then you'll benefit from them. Why? Because a whole lot of a lifetime worth of doing something simple is way better with Allah Ta'ala than just a little bit of something that's like a big flash in the pan. It's really spectacular while it's happening and then afterward it's gone. Afterward it's gone. Uh, like, you know, imagine like somebody's like, hey, I want to become a doctor, right? And so they do really, really good on one exam and then like for the whole rest of the four years of medical school, they don't go to class. Who would you rather be treated with? That guy or the guy who got C's on all of his exams in medical school? Right? The guy who got all the C's on all of their exams, obviously he could have done better, but he generally knows what he's talking about. Whereas the person who uh, uh, you know, got a, like a, a plus on one exam and jammed for the whole rest of the medical school, there's, there's really not a whole lot of good going on there. And so this is a, 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 a knowledge and understanding that's known by the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and known by the companions and he taught them like that. So like if you have this like super spectacular, uh, uh, you know, uh, idea of tahajjud and then you're like, oh well, you know, it's hard for me to get up every day and do that. No, it's, it's okay even if you pray like every day two rak'ahs in, uh, in which all you read is the Surah Al-Fatiha. Right? That's something that's, that's good. Let the bride and groom be on their way. It's a wedding night, right? It should be nice, inshallah. Usually I don't interrupt their first stuff, but... So here's a hadith. It would have been nice if the bride and groom were here to hear it. But uh, mashallah, all of you are uh, uh, grooms or potential future grooms, inshallah. So at least you can hear it and remember it for that, that time, inshallah. Rather, you can go home and tell the missus, okay? It's a romantic, romantic hadith, okay? Bismillah. Uh, 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 it says, عن أبي وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم رحم الله رجلا قام من الليل فصلى وأيقظ امرأته فإن أبت نضح في وجهها الماء ورحم الله امرأة قامت من الليل فصلت وأيقظت زوجها فإن أبى نضحت في وجه الماء أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام رواه أبو داود بإسناد صحيح. سيدنا أبو هريرة رضي الله عنه he mentions what he said that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said may Allah's mercy be on a man who wakes up in the night and prays. wakes up in the night and prays and then afterward he he wakes his wife up either for tahajjud or at least for fajr and if she's still not getting up then he kindly and gently that's like my, my ta'aliq on it because that's how the Prophet used to do stuff. Um, he just spritz a little water in her face and just to wake her up. 
Uh, and uh, the Messenger of Allah said that may Allah's mercy be on a woman who wakes up in the night and prays and, uh, and she wakes up her husband and if he doesn't wake up for, this is for the Fajr, if he doesn't wake up then he'll, she'll gently spritz some water uh, 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 in, in the face of her husband. It's a hadith of Abu Dawood uh, and it has a sahih isnab. So this is like the part of the deen, right? Allah Ta'ala commands in, the, in His book, Surah Taha, He says, command your, your family to the prayer. The family here means wife and it means family in general as well. Command your family to the prayer and be steadfast and patient in it. Not just like say it one time and then like give up mentioning it. Mention it again and again. Uh, and this, is, this hadith is in line with that. Now, this being said, there are some people, if you try this, it's going to end up like in some sort of like nuclear meltdown. And uh, um, not everybody is in the position to be able to really do anything about it at this point. Uh, however, you guys uh, in the front row, you're in a position to do something about it, which is what? Imagine one day you're going to get married to a girl. I know it's gross to think about right now, but you may not mind so much one day. Uh, when that happens, okay, who would you rather marry? The, the girl who's more beautiful or the girl who will like not yell at you if you woke her up to Fajr? Okay, what about you? What about you? What about you? You're just saying that because you're in the masjid? What about you, I mean? <laughs> what about you? What about you in the back? I'm not asking Sheikh Musa. Yeah. Amin's gonna rat him out. Yeah. The second one. Who said both? You heard him. He said the right answer. The one who wakes up for Fajr is the more beautiful one. Right. The sisters are like way far in the back, so I can't ask them. But who would you rather marry? The one who, uh, the, the man who has like, you know, is more handsome and has more money uh, uh, or, or the, the, the one who, uh, you know, won't mind if you wake him up for Fajr. And the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter how much money he has in this dunya, if he's broke in the akhirah, uh, he's broke. And literally there's a hadith of the Prophet in which he informs the, the, the companions. They said, he asked the companions, do you know who, who's, who's bankrupt, who's broke? And they're like, like, the one who has no silver or gold? He says, no, the one who comes with all of his good deeds, but he was a, a, like mean to so-and-so person and cussed out so-and-so person and like violated the rights of so-and-so person. And so all those people will come and take his good deeds away from him until they're done. You remember the hadith, right? You guys remember. I don't need to mention the hadith in its code. Does anyone not remember it and wants me to finish it? Y'all remember, right? So the answer is, when you're looking to get married, should I marry the rich guy or the guy who wakes up for Fajr? The guy who wakes up for Fajr is the rich guy, because it doesn't matter how much money he has in this world, if he's broke in the hereafter, he's like the most broke of the broke, and he's broke forever. And you're not going to get any benefit or any khair out of, out of that one. These are choices that we make, uh, and these choices have a long-term effect. If you don't believe me, ask me, because then those people come to me afterward when they, like, their entire lives break down, the people who don't make ihtimam of the prayer and you see the pain that they're in and the suffering that they're in and you know that Allah blessed them by making them learn the lesson the easy way in this world even though it seems hard, it doesn't seem easy at all it seems hard, but it's easy when you learn it in this world when you learn it in the hereafter, that's the hard way because you can't do anything to fix it at that point 
So this is like romantic hadith, you know, uh, go home and like, you know, say, hey baby, you wake me up for Fajr, that's why I love you, uh, and whatnot. And don't tell anyone else about it, certainly don't tell me about it because uh, I don't want to hear it. But like between the two of you, it's nice. It'll be nice, right? MashaAllah. Anhu, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, wa an Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhuma. قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا أيقظ الرجل أهله من الليل فصليا أو صلى ركعتين جميعا كتب في في الذاكرين والذاكرات رواه أبو داود بإسناد صحيح. This is another mashallah romantic hadith mashallah. Again. Kids in the front are a little bit young, so the idea is probably gross. But one day, if you fall in love, if you uh, if you can't picture that that, that girl or that guy uh, praying two rakahs with you, then you should probably just uh, you know uh, look the other way and, and ignore it. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu anhu and Sayyidina Abu Hurairah, both of them, they they said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, when a man wakes his wife uh, in the night. And, or it could be the other way around, but the wording is that a man, when a man wakes up his wife in the night and the two of them, they pray uh, uh, two rak'ahs together, Allah will write them that they're from the dhakirin or dhakirat. He'll write them that they're from the men who remember Allah and from the women who remember Allah. Uh, uh, and it's narrated uh, by Abu Dawood with a, with a sahih uh, chain of narration. And what's the, what's the significance here, right? وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ right? It's mentioned in the Surah Al-Ahzab that that mention, you'll be part of that mention in the, in the, in the hadith of the Prophet Why? Because like a husband and wife, um, when they first meet, they're like really in love with each other and uh, are interested in uh, doing the things that people who love each other do. And then like when the, they get their marriages get savaged and ravaged by, uh, by the years uh, passing, which is, it happens, you know. Um, you still love each other, but you know, it's kind of gotten not as new as it used to be, uh, to be, to put it mildly. At that time, you can't be fake either. So any place in the scale where you are as a husband and wife, if you get up and pray together, uh, this is barakah, it's a good sign from Allah Ta'ala that you're from the people who will be saved on the Day of Judgment and uh, that your marriage also will last both in this world and in the hereafter. Yes? When you get up and pray together, do you mean get up and pray together? I think, I think uh, from the, the question is, what do you mean by praying together? Do you mean praying Fajr together or do you mean uh, uh, Praying uh, tahajjud. Here it means tahajjud because he says min al layl. Min tab'id. That it's the min from part, part, of, the, part of the night. Because yeah. the thing is, this is that like the, the sunnah at any rate for, for the fajr itself is that the men should pray in congregation uh, um, uh, as well, even if the word layl wasn't mentioned there. Uh, it's good for a husband and wife to pray together if they're far enough from the masjid that it's not practical for them to make it to the masjid. But if they can make it to the masjid, it's usually better to do so. Um, and if they don't, then it's better to pray as a family. But here it means uh, uh, in tahajjud as part of the night. So this is something you should do. You guys should do it also, mashallah. You guys haven't, like, you know. Some of us, when we were your age, we didn't have people to give us good advice. Some of us did, and they took it, and some of us didn't. But mashallah, at least you can say that nobody didn't give you advice. 
granted that the idea of marrying a girl seems gross right now, but like it's a sunnah, so you'll have to force yourself to do it one way, one day or another, right? Uh, uh, it may not be so bad when it happens, but you know, at any rate, it's going to happen, inshallah. Uh, so make the intention that what will you do the first thing when you get together, that you pray two rak'ahs together. Why? Because the thing that's for, uh, for the sake of Allah lives forever. And the thing that's for the dunya, it perishes, crashes and burns. You know what I mean? Is that a good thing? No, it's not. Uh, mashallah, looking at some of you, mashallah, I can tell your mothers and fathers made amal on this. So you're also, mashallah, uh, uh, you know, you're good. All of you are good children and you're the children of good people as well. So this is how this chain keeps going. And the generation in which people leave these things, and which are like, oh man, it's wedding night, I always pray, you know, like, let's skip the salat tonight and like, you know, have fun and blah, blah, blah. That's where the chain breaks and you see what used to be good turn into something, spoil into something bad. And unfortunately, the, the ummah has been heartbroken by seeing this too much. Uh, so, uh, inshallah, whoever is able to pro keep the, the, the good tradition going, let them keep it going. And whoever sees that the tradition was broken and that person uh, fixes uh, the chain after it's broken, that person has a very high maqam with Allah Ta'ala. That person has a very high maqam with Allah. Uh, uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala give us tawfiq of being people of islah and not people of fasad, people of rectification rather than people of, of destruction. وعن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا نعس أحدكم في الصلاة فليرقد حتى يذهب عنه عنه النوم فإن أحدكم إذا صلى ونعس وهو ناعس لعله يذهب يستغفر فيسب نفسه متفق عليه وعن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام أحدكم من الليل فاستعجم القرآن القرآن على لسانه فلم يدر ما يقول فليضطجع رواه مسلم. So these are two hadith. They have a very similar message, and they're the uh, end of this chapter. Uh, from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah رضي الله تعالى عنه and Sayyidina Aisha رضي الله عنها. The first one, the hadith of Sayyidina Aisha, she said that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said, if one of you are tired during the prayer, this is the tahajjud prayer, right? If one of you are tired during the prayer. Um, then let them get, get some sleep until the tiredness wears off. Sleep a little bit more, it's okay, sleep for another half hour or whatever, you know. Let them sleep a little bit more until the tiredness wears off. Uh, um, because one of you, if you're like really mega sleepy, uh, 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 it's possible that, that, that you'll, be, you'll be like intending to ask Allah for forgiveness and you're just cursing yourself. You know, like, you know, if you're really sleepy, you don't even know what you're saying anymore. You start talking like you're crazy, you know. So you'd be like, You know, like, you don't, you know, like, if you put the sentence together, it may actually end up meaning something wrong, you know. So if you're at that point, remember we're talking about mujahada, that a person has a nafs and a nafs wants to sleep, like, so much. And so you should struggle against the nafs. So obviously you'll be a little bit sleepy. If you're sleepy enough that you can, like, keep it together, then keep going. If you're so sleepy that you're like, like you fall, you like you fall asleep and you wake up again, or you like keep forgetting where you are in the Quran, or like something like that happens that you can't you can't hold it together, it's okay. You can take a little bit of rest as well. The point of mujahada is not mujahada. You know, what mujahada means right? it means to struggle. The point of struggle is not to suffer, to go through pain. It's to make yourself stronger. Otherwise, if the point of struggling is to suffer, then there would be like a surah that says, "Just all of you go kill yourself." 
and make it hurt, make sure it's painful. You know? Like that's not that's not the point. Allah Ta'ala The point of all of this stuff is not to like, you know, that you're Muslim, so your life should be horrible and everyone else should have fun. That's not the point. The point is you go through these things in order to make yourself stronger, in order to make yourself better, to get some benefit that other people don't get. Uh, and so if the benefit's not coming, the Prophet said it's okay, you can you can take a little bit more rest. Uh, and Abu Hurairah says something uh, to a very similar, uh, to a very similar uh, effect, which is that the Messenger of Allah said, when one of you wakes up from the, from the night and their tongue is like unable to clearly recite the Qur'an, uh, or, or the Qur'an is not being recited on the uh, tongue clearly, the Qur'an is confounding the, confounding the tongue. That you're trying to recite but it's like not coming out properly because of how tired you are and, and that a person doesn't understand what they're reciting they don't even they're not even aware of what they're reciting they're just like mumbling like in the subconscious so let them go back to sleep then that's fine they, they've done enough mudahada it's time to rest a little bit inshallah and uh, try again next time when you when you're when you feel better allah ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq Allah Ta'ala give all of us so much tawfiq. Again, it's a disclaimer. These are things that, you know, we all should be doing. If we want to do, you know, people, people talk about, oh, we want to have caliphate and we want to have justice and we want to free Palestine and we want to free Pakistan and we want to free this stan and the other stan and we want to have sharia and we want to have fulan and Quran and, uh, uh, you know, all of these other things, you know. It requires a lot of help from Allah Ta'ala. And that help is not going to be established until these things happen first. Tell me what happened first, the Hijrah to Medina or the Prophet and the companions praying to Hajjad for, for, for years? What happened first? Praying to Hajjad for years, 13 years in Makkah Mukarramah before going to, uh, going to uh, uh, Hijrah. All the, the, the main commandment from the ibadat of the, uh, of the, uh, of the deen was what? Ya ayyuhal muzzammil qumil layla illa qalila nisfahu wa nqus minha qalila Oh, muzzammil who's uh, wrapped up uh, in, in the blanket, right? Yeah, I'm not just wearing it because I like live in a cave, you know, in one of the aforementioned stands, right? The Prophet is muzzammil, right? He says, he says stay, stand the entire night except for just a little bit. Uh, or stand uh, 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 half of the night or slightly less they did it for so long and then what happened this nur got generated inside of their hearts so that they were able to do all the stuff that they needed to do you know what I mean? so Amin, are you running a government right now? are you like, like the boss of a big business? not that, not that you uh, told us yet, right? Are you like a father who has a family that you have to earn, earn money and like buy a house and like, mashallah, uh, you know, to pay for your kids' expenses and things like that? Do you have almost any responsibility in the world right now? Not a lot, right? And most of you, I assume, are like that. This is the time for you guys to do this stuff. Build this capacity inside of you. Wake up a little bit earlier. Go to sleep a little bit earlier. Pray your prayers. Don't just sleep through it. Build this capacity inside of you because when you're going to need the help, you're not going to have the time and you're not going to have the strength uh, to form a new habit in order to do these things. The best of you will form the capacity first and then you'll have the strength when you need it. The uh, like medium, 
Muslims, at least you'll make the habit right now, such that when life kicks you in the backside and you need the help, you'll at least know how to get it. The worst and most painful state, not the worst and most painful state, but one of, a more, one of the more painful states is what? Is that a person will get to a point in life when they need the help, and they even have an idea of how they're supposed to get it, but their habits are so bad. They never made good habits, and the bad habits are so entrenched that it's hard for them to do what they need to do in order to get the help. And there's a state worse than that, that they don't even know what they have to do in order to get the help. Uh, Allah Ta'ala uh, protect us from that. So we're now, right now, we're at like, out of four, we're at like three by sitting in this dars. Um, it's better than being at four, but it's not like, there's still a long way to go. Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq of going to stage two, going to stage one, inshallah, and getting the help that we need so that we can achieve something uh, in our lives that will benefit us in this world and the hereafter. Uh, we'll, we'll end uh, early because, uh, because of the delay for the nikah. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.